Happy Wednesday, action fans. Welcome back to another episode of Action Movie Anatomy, where we're talking kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Is this the greatest action comedy of all time? I don't know. Let's find out. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! It's always so weird doing stuff without... Like, you have, like, your mirror? Yeah, I just got my mirror. Yeah. And then, uh, but it's okay. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. I'm so excited. Dude, we, I'm we were just, so... just in New York. Yes, we were. That's, I, I know. We were, we were drunkenly, we're standing on the corner <laughs> in New York, outside of a bar, being like, you want to come on my show? I love, I love to come on your show. I love this, this movie, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. You want to talk about the Kiss, Kiss, I Bang, Bang? I know, I know. The only time that wasn't a line. You know what I mean? Like, only time someone saying drunk outside of a bar, kiss, 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 kiss bang, 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 that wasn't just two like, dudes just having a great conversation about movies. Wasn't profiteering of any kind. It wasn't trying to proposition or profiteer. Guys, welcome back to Action Movie Anatomy. How you doing today? You know who I am. I'm Andrew Guy. This is my good friend, Coy Jandru. How we doing? How we doing? I'm so excited, man. This is like one of my favorite shows to do and probably tied for first my favorite comedy of all time. My favorite thing about having you on the show is if it's if it's a movie that you've recommended, which it always is, you know, that's what we try to do when we have guests on, is I could not say anything for an hour. Yeah, and you I mean, could just I talk. Could literally, I could literally, I could recite most of this movie if they wanted to play by play. I could talk about the legacy of this movie. I could talk about how it shifted the environment of film forever, and I could talk about how it single-handedly revitalized the biggest, one of the biggest movie stars in the world right now. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, this is one of the biggest turns in Robert Downey's career. But we'll get to all of that in just a minute, guys. How you doing? Welcome back to the show. I'm Andrew. This is Coy. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We cover action movies on this show on the Popcorn Talk Network, the network dedicated to talking movies and pop culture. By the bucket full and um yeah this is an interesting one because kiss kiss bang bang is a movie that i'd kind of forgotten that i'd watched i I had a feeling that i had seen it but i think i saw it too young you know it's a dense movie when it came out in 2005 i hadn't graduated high school yet i didn't really know a lot about robert downey jr at the Mm -hmm. time and val kilmer to me was the saint val kilmer was the star (laughs) in this movie that he was the person i was looking out for um what made you want to cover this on the show today, man? So this is one of those movies that it, it's, and this is going to sound harsh, but this is one of those movies that I judge friendships and relationships by. So Fair. it is literally like we sit down, we watch this movie. If you don't laugh, we probably won't be getting texts. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's really a barometer of humanity. So if you like this movie, we're probably going to be great friends. If you're neutral at this movie, maybe we'll find a different thing to agree on. But movies, if you don't like this movie, there's probably something like a separate from us. So this is one of my like litmus test movies, man. I'm like, this is the bar so between <laughs> no I, loved it. I loved it i swear to god it's i loved it weeks. but uh between this and in bruges i really when i'm when i'm going into a more serious relationship or when i've been friends with someone for a long time i kind of put these movies on oh. and, and set the bar where I, I feel about them because there's something so like high school jokes about shane black's writing and there's also something like genius level like top of the line into intellect jokes yeah. from shane black's writing and and i love Love in Bruges. So when we cover that, you got to come back oh, on because 100%. I can just talk about that movie. I all quote day, it all dude. the time, and it's one of those movies that the quotes don't sound like quotes, so I just sound like a psychopath. <laughs> like it's one of those movies where it's like, "What is wrong with you?" Fucking elephants. And <laughs> what? Would you call me? <laughs> Actually, and and uh, like uh, he knows karate. Like there's so many moments that are really like uh, quippy in this, much like in Bruges. Like this is definitely my sense of humor, but it's also one of the most quotable movies in the most specific of ways. Like like I yell like. Uh, crazy Mon- monkey from the future only says ficus all the time and people are like what is wrong <laughs> like, what with you, you? I, I was just trying to think of how many times i could say badly on the show but then I'm just, <laughs> it's just a word that we all use all the time yeah. so i don't think it would actually work it's an adverb it's, it's an adverb <laughs> um 
right, let's but, do a couple. But even oh. beyond the writing, this movie's directing is tight. The yeah. movie's action is incredible. It's got twists that don't get revealed early on. You actually are looking at it. And I discovered it in the weirdest way, which is one of my favorite things about it, is I grew up with Lethal Weapon. Like, Lethal Weapon is my franchise. Yeah, it is. Uh, if there weren't <clears> Marvel <throat> movies, you'd see me on the internet just as much, but talking about four films, and that's Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Fortunately for me, a fifth is coming, according to Hollywood Reporter. Very excited. But uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I was waiting for forever because it was Shane Black's directorial debut, and my entire childhood I had a crush on Shannon Sossman. And she's oh. in one scene in this movie. So when she she's the girl with the pink hair. Oh, she is. That's Shannon. That's it. I was even trying. I was going to Google who's the girl in the pink hair, but then I was like, I'm not watching the movie. Shannon. And I needed to watch the movie. That was Night's her? Tale, Shannon Sossman. Oh, my God. So I when love she was her. cast, I was similarly like, to me, Robert Downey Jr. was that guy from, you know, uh, a few 80s movies, and he was on Alley McBeal. He wasn't like right. a big part of my life, but Shannon Sossman was. Oh, and yes, Val she Kilmer was. was. Yes, he so was. So it was really cool to see this movie and be like, do I have a nuisance of humor? Like, it just changed yeah. everything. So this movie's one of those giant before and afters. This movie's actually. Just straight up hilarious. It really is. Uh, so we're going to get into that in just a second. Let's do a couple shout-outs first. Uh, guys, we got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Team Action. You can go and support us there. We actually were just in New York. Koi was there as well. We're going to be talking Schmodown a little bit today. I want to kind of pick your brain about being a manager and kind of like... I was actually just talking to Steph Sabra outside, and I was asking her when she's going to join the Schmodown because <laughs> not only do we always need more females, but we also need great personalities to join, and I think Steph is phenomenal. And she was like, it's like a psychotic like cult. And I was like, it's a cult that will love you. It's all love. <laughs> That's the best kind of cult to be in. <laughs> Isn't that what all cults say? Yeah, Even sing it out loud. It's like, it's just about love and being one with people like you. It's just, just join us. Just join us. It's totally cool. <laughs> Schmo. Uh, but yeah, so uh, check out our Patreon. We're going to be doing a behind the scenes reaction there of both the matches. Uh, do you have a Patreon? I do. Yes, I just do. started it. And, uh, mm-hmm. it goes, it's been active for two weeks and I start doing all the stuff February 1st because I was traveling. Uh, and I have my own YouTube now. I just started. Uh, and it's doing really well. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, January 2nd, a lot of things happened that caused YouTube to need to exist. So uh, January 2nd p.m., a YouTube was started, and uh, I, I, you guys have been incredible, and uh, a lot of people in the chat, like, like a lot of the names I see here have been inactive in my, my own oh, YouTube. Dude. Like, the community that you guys are is absolutely incredible, and uh, I have so, literally a three-hour live stream I'm going to do tonight, because really? I, haven't, I haven't covered anything since UFC, so I want to cover the Connor fight, I want to cover oh, Watchmen wow. 2 not happening, I saw the gentleman and Bad Boys, literally, like, there's a gamut of news. What is your YouTube? Uh, yeah, just my name, at Koi John. So okay. C O Y J A N D R E A U. If you're for some reason listening and not watching, uh, yeah, my two just my name, and I, I kind of the, the show is called Coy's Comics Cinema and Curls. English is silly because cinema should have a and curls because he works out and curls, bro. Because uh, I want to talk fitness and UFC and stuff. We were in New York talking about how it was hard not to work out for a couple days. <laughs> not a big deal. It was, it was just like it's so hard not to work out. He's like, it's so hard. We had the broiest conversation <laughs> in a lunchroom at a hotel with <laughs> William Bibiani and Brendan Meyer, who were looking at us like these guys are psychopaths. Literally. Like you've got headphones on, and I was like, "Yeah, bro, I'm gonna hit a run later." And they're just sitting there, like, "We're gonna study movies, and these psychopaths are gonna be getting games." That's why we're good at it, and they're uh, that's why so, we are in the other side of the storyline. Yes, we are the entertainers. <laughs> uh, so, a couple new patrons to shout out: we got Hannah K, Megan, and Moises Claudio. Moises, we actually met you in uh, New York, and if it's Moses and it's not Moises, then I'm sorry, but there's an I in there, so I have to say it. So, big salute to you guys! Thank you so much <clears throat> for your patronage. Let's get into the show. Let's get into the rules. Rule number one of Action Movie Anatomy, the hero always plays by their own rules. Now, I want to talk to you about this because there are a lot of times in movies where you have the dual hero ship, even in movies like The Rock. Um, 
Is that what this is, or is Robert Downey just straight up? I think 100% plays right. by his own rules. This movie breaks the fourth wall. This yeah. movie stops, pauses, and looks at you. Yep. So if there's ever a movie to break its own rules and to make its own rules, it's this one. And I feel like both Val Kilmer and Downey Jr., especially in the post credit scene or like the mid credit scene, mm-hmm. effectively shape that the narrative's been theirs. They thank the audience for cleaning up their popcorn. Like, this <laughs> yes. is a movie defined by making its own rules. Yeah, and they totally balance each other out. Right? Yeah. Like, they have to do that because there's a lot of the time there where Downey's definitely not the smartest guy in the room. Kilmer is, you know? and at the end of it, Downey's kind of—he's—he's he's almost like the smartest guy in the room just by by necessity. He see that also exists die. in our world. This movie also like there's a whole subplot about Colin Farrell. Like this movie also makes its own rules <laughs> yes. because it exists within us, yeah. which is fascinating. That, the, the acting side of it, the, even the audition in the beginning, I was just like, this is actually real. Like yeah. this is kind of how it really goes. <laughs> he's on his knees, he's crying. It's just uh, this to me does all the things, and no disrespect to Barry, but this does all the things that Barry does, but does a little better. Like to me, this <clears> is a little more winky, a little more tongue in cheek, a little more like inside baseball, but it, it's more welcoming. Yeah. Like Entourage, uh, love it or hate it, landed this weird line where it's like you drive down Hollywood Boulevard and sometimes I think about Entourage and that show's been off for 10 years. I still do. Still. 100%. And Shane Black to me is the best director and writer for that because there is not a single time I take the 405 and I look at that building and I go, that's the building she jumped off of in Lethal Weapon. Right. Like to this day. So, and that was out in 87. (laughs) I wasn't even alive yet and I think about that. It's because the way that he writes things and the way that he paints stuff and, you know, the imagery that he sets up, it's just something about it sticks with you without being too heavy handed. And that's Because the the filters and the lighting, it's because there's just something impactful. Uh, Paul Denuzzi here in the super chat uh, actually donates two dollars he says koi is one of the best guests on ama in history i couldn't agree more thank you paul couldn't I agree more. and for and for that i will give you some insight into kiss kiss bang bang the opening of that movie is actually at shane black's old house and uh i this is gonna sound like a name drop and i'm so sorry because i get called out on this all the time but i, I want to give credit to shane black as a writer because he is brilliant in person and he talks like unlike these characters, but every so often you see a glimmer of one of his characters, so he's one of those writers that is able to distinguish his own voice from mm-hmm. the voice of the characters, and he can find it in conversation. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that the, 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 the mansion scene was filmed at his house, and I was yeah. just like, well, how nice for you yeah, to save money that? on your budget. <laughs> I'll just film it in my living room. Dude, this movie made like $4. I know, I know. So I they saw, needed was, to save I, the budget. I, honestly, I heard that, and I was like, well, good, good on you, Shane. Well, it's funny because Shane Black has Shane Blackisms. It right. has become a real thing that people can look at scripts and go, that's a Shane Black or that is where that comes from and it's it's so true when you go and you look at the movies that he's written which we'll obviously talk about the guy is a genius and i think he might be the greatest action comedy writer period even though even though it's really just on the shoulders of of a couple that he's directed and then obviously the lethal weapon franchise but that's all you need kiss kiss nice guys and lethal weapon what the hell else you want you know i mean that's that's the cornerstones (laughs) of action comedy so if you own three of the four corners it doesn't really you don't need a high number like he's a quality over quantity guy yes because i think he's had one foible and i think that was a recent one and i think there was a lot of reasons for it and and, and we'll talk about that because you have some you have a little bit of of insight yeah and 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 so my my apology for name dropping is i know shane a bit so if i mention it in like shorthand it's because like is because I don't want to seem like I'm speaking at a school, but I'm also speaking in the way I call him S Money. So if you hear me say S Money, me and SB chilling (laughs) after this, go hit him up, talk about that Doc Savage. Uh, No, but I I think Shane is uh, really particular. a lot of times when you hear Aaron Sorkin dialogue, mm-hmm. it it comes from other Aaron Sorkin dialogue, where Shane is able to be his same tone, but he makes new stuff. He does. Like, the other guys is clearly a Shane Black film, but at no point did they sound like Riggs or Murtaugh. So no. that's what I want to give credit to, is like when you talk to Shane in person, there's not a single moment of quippy, speedy, downy juniorness, but every so often he'll say a sentence and you're like, goddamn genius. Like, like you'll see it come out. From? Or like, what movie is that gonna be in? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So like, I just, I think that it's really hard to find writers that aren't as big and bold in person. 
person, whereas he's just a dude. Like just he's a just a, a chill well, guy. I think that's what what he really kind of captures and and this is such a weird thing to say but it's kind of like dude humor yeah like when you're hanging out with your buddies everything's hilarious and it's not really that funny but there's something <laughs> about the way it's said and when it's said it, it's that he can perfectly captures so uh rule number two the hero and the villain are always the smartest people beings creatures dinosaurs in the room this is kind of interesting because yeah. who's who's the true villain of this movie in your mind? Uh, I would say the entire like nefarious underbelly. Like there's a whole like subplot of it's not of just the, the guy. No. What's his name? Dexter. Yeah, or whatever. it's not, it's just, not Dexter. just him, and it's not just the the dad or right. the you know. It's it's a combination. It's also kind of the Hollywood system. If you want to look, if you want to look at the macro, yeah, yeah. like the way they abuse the people in the movie, and this is coming from being in L.A. where I'm like, man, they treat actors like crap. There's something to the infrastructure of L.A. plus the Dexter character plus the father character. Like even mm-hmm. even the uh, that poor character that gets like knocked off the fucking balcony and dies. Like oh. there's something there's something <laughs> yeah. to the Hollywood extreme where he's like driven to drink because he can't get hired by you know anyone else. Well, you were I was like this is when this is like this movie came directly after Downey got out of prison. You're like yeah he woke up in a Wonder Woman outfit yeah, and, and then a, this guy's and in then a this, ro- robot outfit. And I'm like oh you're like man, oh, oh, reflecting life. <laughs> like what a beautiful Downey's like looking at the strips like fuck all damn right, it Shane just, okay, just ignore it just ignore it I need this movie I need this movie and every one of those parties is a Hollywood party. Oh, yeah. Like, every time I go to a Hollywood party, I think of the scene where they he's like, yeah, I invented dice. Oh, is that it? <laughs> like, literally, that, I've, I've also used, like, those lines at parties to see if anyone got the reference. Oh, or, dude, like, Native Bobby American Gucci. Joe Pesci. <laughs> Bobby Gucci is the greatest. And you'll hear him say something and you'll be like, I, it's not true because I know, but yeah. no one else in this room could ever deny that you invented dice right. or you started the hula hoop whatever it he is he goes into finstock mode yeah. or he goes into gucci mode like and there's just so many methods so much conviction yeah it's so believable but that's yeah. a hollywood party there's always that guy that leans into the brand and also the very end when he's like leaving and he like talks to girls she's like oh yeah you're the guy that was getting his ass kicked earlier and you're like <laughs> thanks for the help like we've all been to those parties <laughs> yeah. like it's a very and that's that's again that weird la thing we were like it is as weird as it looks in the movie it is it's a weird place yeah and it will chew you up and eat you alive like it does in this film it really will especially if you're trying to yeah we don't need to get into the whole <laughs> philosophy of how, how to survive uh, la uh, rule number don't three do drugs the movie is driven by a police military or a political figure nah, i mean not really no not at all i mean he's 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 an actor and then he's got a pi with him so it breaks that rule and rule number four the movie contains a minimum of one explosion is there an explosion in this movie is a car blow up? Is there a blow up in the film? The scene there... where they're shooting at the, on the bridge, like as the with the casket, is there yeah. an explosion in that scene? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think it, mm. it's kept. There's an explosion in Val Kilmer's pants. Yes, that, that, yes, that is true. That's with an exploder. I love that, and the line that comes after it is pretty phenomenal as well. So we'll say we'll say it meets the rules. Okay, uh, I'm into it because <laughs> yeah. there's no like literal explosion, but I also kind of like the realism of that because this this is like a pulpy noir, yeah. and I feel like if they added an explosion for like the '90s action sensibility, it would have ripped us right out. <laughs> I Whereas instead, agree. the gunshots actually hit like gunshots. Like there's there's an extreme moment, but it's not like. A bad guys walking away as like it explodes behind them. Like I actually really like when gunshots hit like gunshots. Yeah, with a slow bleed coming out. It's not just like an explosion of blood. And I mean, it depends on the bullet caliber. And in this movie, there's no fifty cals. Everyone's got handguns. No, yes, exactly. And everything feels like a pulpy noir. Yeah, I know. Even even the. Uh, when he does it with the silencer, yeah, the, it, with Shannon Sossman, yeah, to, to avenge her. That's a, that's a great scene. The way Shane um, uses noir pulp is like he loves the t- dime store novels. Like mm-hmm. that's his obsession in real life. So he actually did a bunch of Iron Man three, um, like alternate material that were pulpy. So there's a Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man three that looks like a dime store novel that reminded me of Kiss Kiss Bang oh, Bang. Really? There's a bunch of alt stuff because that's his wheelhouse. So I was glad the studio like they let him make the movie all the way. Like this didn't feel like it had any studio interference. No, this was not a marketable film, which well, is why. 
it opened at number 36. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also kind of how I felt about the nice guys. And I know the nice yeah. guys did a little bit better, but the nice guys did not. I mean, this is tough because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has so much other stuff going on. And, but the Brad Pitt-Leo relationship in that is phenomenal. But I still think that the Gosling Crow one far surpasses it. There's just so much more going on and so many great moments. Like, I still love the nice guys when he's like begging him, telling stories. Like, oh, everyone's calling you the donut shop guy. The donut shop. He's like, what's that all about? And he, he just passed out on the diving board like 30 seconds later. <laughs> to me, no one writes bromance like Shane Black. No. Like, Riggs and Murtaugh are, are an unlikely duo that is still replicated today. Like, you yeah. still see people writing that trope. And to me, the nice guys was like, they he didn't lean on that. Like, they weren't that different in age. They weren't that different mm-hmm. in, in responsibility. And then in this film, you've got, like, two people that hate each other. And, and you can still <laughs> feel the love there. So three very different type of romances that all land beautifully. Well, because we all have that friend, right? Oh, God, it's yeah. fucking Steve. Oh, yeah, you know God. What I mean? You know, yeah, he's coming. It's the Super Bowl, baby. Uh, Jack will be there. Coy will be there. And, you know, fucking Steve will be there. And you but... know we're that friend to so many people. Like, yeah, of like, course I when, am. When we were talking with Bibbs and the kid, we were that friend. We were you that... know what I mean? We were like, like yes, yeah, so, well, are you doing Justin back today, bro? Like, it's totally, we're that guy in that scenario. <laughs> all right, all right. We got to get into the show. And we got to get into the thesis statement because I actually have one about what you just said. And then you have one that I think is fascinating. So uh, we're going to talk thesis statement, fist pump. We're also going to talk Schmodown a little bit. And then... Career-defining role for Robert Downey Jr. is clearly Iron Man, but I want to talk a little bit about his his acting, his actual acting, because I think this is some of the best acting he's ever done in his career. And then I also want to talk about Shane Black because of Predator and kind of its lack of success. So let's get into thesis statement. That's your biggest, boldest thought about the film. If you were at one of these Hollywood parties and this party was <laughs> celebrating Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and you had the microphone for one statement, one sentence, this is what you would say. And I'm going to say mine first because I want to go deeper into yours, but mine is that Shane Black is just the greatest bromance writer of all time. That's literally what it was. You said that no one writes it like him. I'm like, well, that's pretty close to what exactly mine is. And it's just based off the three. It really is. I mean, I I actually love um, Iron Man 3, and I love what Ben Kingsley does in that movie. Uh, But personally, The Nice Guys is my favorite. It really is. I I, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is, is... just as good. Yeah. But I think there's just something about the nice guys. Maybe it's because of how much I love Gosling and Crow and how just straight up hilarious that movie is. Because that movie just feels like a straight comedy. Yeah. With some action. Sure. Whereas this actually feels like a movie that I don't... I I, I thought Kilmer died. I thought Downey died. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was okay with it. Whereas, like, at the end of the nice guys, if you kill Gosling, you kill a little girl's dad. Right. And that's not really that funny. You know what I yeah. mean? And the age I think you hit nice guys. Like, I think that's a factor in this. 100%. For us, like, 2005 was we were a lot younger. I think I, I was a junior in high school. I think we both graduated. Yeah. Same. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I was just on the wrong side of understanding adults. Like, just on the wrong side. And imagine if you'd already been in L.A. for as long as we had and then Kiss Kiss <sighs> came, came out. If this came out, or five years ago. This might be my favorite movie ever. And this was, I had this poster on my wall from 2005 on, so even then I loved it. Okay. It's just the more I watch it, the more it makes sense to me. And now the more time you spent in the business. It just, it's cartoonish. It's prophetic. It really, and, and, and so really therefore, is. I think the nice guys might be because of when you saw it. You yeah, I, mean? I think that's totally fair. And I also saw it with Ben, so I had a bro with me. And right. we could laugh at stupid shit throughout. So I think it's also, because if I watch this with you, maybe yeah. this would be my favorite. Right, know? and I'd be yelling also sorts of like very obscure specific shit about it like, <laughs> yes yes and then and then you know i think about like lethal weapon 4 which is like one of the ones i grew up on and like just pesci in that movie and how Dude. annoying pesci is in three and four chris rock is butters it, chris rock it's like there's he is butters that's the best thing i've ever heard oh my god like the, the lethal weapon franchise means so much to me and anytime someone even gives me like a glimmer of talking about it I'm like no we're gonna talk about lethal weapon like the fact that lethal weapon 5 was this week and i wasn't on my youtube channel Dude. like we're gonna i'm gonna three hours on lethal weapon y'all ain't even ready but i i 
think it's really interesting that Shane Black has been culturally relevant for 30 years. Yeah. Like 87 was Lethal Weapon. Yeah. yeah That's yeah, yeah. absurd. I mean, it, my dog is just, Snickers is here in the studio. He's just walking around. <laughs> uh, so your thesis is straight crazy. My, my, no, my thesis is. And I want to hear it. It's going to be like, oh no, I can't be on the internet for a week. Uh, in my opinion, because of this film, Mel Gibson is responsible for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is a film. Look at Mel Gibson's archetype that Robert Downey Jr. plays. The leather jacket, smoking, wise ass, does all of the things. Okay. Mel Gibson, Downey Jr., very good friends in real life. They've both stood up for each other in their times of darkness. Downey Jr. has literally called out for people to apologize, uh, to, to not apologize, forgive Mel. And Mel, back in the 90s, had people saying, like, forgive Downey Jr. They both use their award show speeches to stand up for each other. And if you look at the timeline, Aaron America came out like in the 90s before a lot of the Downey Jr. stuff. I guarantee that Shane Black, who's good friends with Mel, the Downey Jr. casting of this was in part because of Mel Gibson. And without Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we would not have had a single bit of the Iron Man universe. And is that because you think... <clears throat> Mel Gibson put up insurance money so they'd hire like Downey Jr., I've heard. On this... on, on It was either this or, or something around this time. Because like he like no one would like work with a certain amount like you know like no one would work with these people. And you're saying essentially if Robert, if Robert Downey never got this movie, he would then never got Iron, Iron Man. Man. And then if someone else played Iron Man, the MCU the, would have never gotten where different it went. MCU. It would be a very different. If Tom MCU. Cruise did it, it'd be a Tom Cruise focused film. It wouldn't be yeah. able to expand to the MCU. So I'm saying if Mel Gibson hadn't alley ooped Downey Jr. into getting Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because of what he was going through at the time, which if you if you watch any interview with Robert Downey Jr., it's one of the most insightful things to see him like beautifully handle. He owns his darkness and he owns what he went through. And he owns yeah. like all those things and, and like it's it, uh, his Joe Rogan uh, interview he just had like it's really beautiful to see him turn addiction into like martial art addiction like he's a giant right. UFC fan which is so cool well that's uh, the thing is you know <clears throat> and I don't want to cut you off oh, yeah. for more than two seconds here but yeah people that with addictions we just need to be addicted to something else right well, we really you, do if you have an addictive personality yes. find the healthiest addiction yes. uh, in the live chat I see what you're saying about X-Men and Blade I'm not saying Marvel films I'm saying the MCU yeah I think we'd have a swath of Marvel films but I think the corner stone of the mcu is john favreau's iron man 100 which i don't think we would have had without kiss kiss bang bang and i don't know if we'd have downey in it without mel gibson so the most hated man in hollywood might be the reason the biggest cinematic franchise of all time exists i can't disagree with you it's because, just fascinating the breadcrumbs <clears throat> yeah exactly it's like you're following this trail of breadcrumbs and it is speculation but it also there's there is evidence there to support the fact that like no one wanted to work with Robert Downey. We'll get into that when we get into production development. And it was really just kind of the, the basis that he had a friend in Shane Black that would have that kind of hired him and like yeah. gave him a chance. And Joel Silver, like they gave him a chance. They gave him an audition. They didn't want to even book him. They just gave him the audition. So I think that's crazy. I <clears throat> would I have ever put it together on my own? A hundred percent no. Can I see the the breadcrumbs and can I agree with you? I, I think so, man. And 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 also look at have... that romance. Yes. Look at the inherent. We're talking about bromances. Look at the inherent bromance of Downey Jr. standing up for Mel when he needed, and Mel standing up for Downey Jr. when he needed it. Look at like the behind the scenes bromance right, between right, the two right, of them, right. causing this new bromance, which led to the MCU. It sucks because I still kind of love Mel Gibson. Oh, I love Mel Gibson the actor, but Mel Gibson yes, the person is so hard. Garbage. It's even hard to say. Yes, like, I feel like when I, I say the like, name Mel Gibson, like, I'm listen, like, hold on, listen, let me finish. Yes, like, yes. there's an asterisk. Like I need a little sign to be like, I'm going to talk about Mel Gibson. Asterisk. I know he said horrible <laughs> and did horrible things. Well, 
because when Bloodfather or whatever the hell that's that so movie good. was came out, I was like, I'm watching it's that. It's the Weapon Five. It really is. It's Riggs when he lost Murtaugh and he goes too far over the edge. <laughs> he lost everything, and, and he just loses his mind. There we like, go. Look and and look if, if you if you have time after this interview, I'd look watch up, that movie. Look up the interviews with them talking about the other. Look at like there's literally award show presentations where they're asking for the forgiveness of their bro. So to me, like that is how the MCU happened, and it's fascinating because if you ask anyone what they think of Mel Gibson in this town, it's not going to come out great. But then you go to the box office and you're like, oh, look at the MCU. But then they still put him in movies like Daddy's Home 2 and stuff. So it's like they... Everyone kind of acknowledges it, yeah. but they want to actually say Not it. all the way. Yeah, not all the way. And I don't know Shane Black's and Mel's relationship. I just I know either. that, and I just know that, like, that, the, to me, the breadcrumbs are right there because of all the public support they have for each other, and because, to me, Downey's playing a Riggs-type character. Like, mm-hmm. I could easily see <clears throat> Mel in that role instead of... Well, they wanted to put in people like Benicio Del Toro. Which I, who I love, but it wouldn't have been the same. Same. Hugh Grant... Mm-hmm. Was another one which I think is very, is very odd, and then the third person I I know is here. It's right here at the top. Uh, oh, Johnny Knoxville. So that's such an indicator of what time you were living in, <laughs> budget level, and then like who was famous at the yeah. time. Like to put Johnny Knoxville in this movie would be crazy. If let's say he actually pulled it off, he would have a very different career as a legitimate actor because th- you have to have acting chops to play Downey's role. Oh in my this. god, he's incredible. He's in very it. very and good. And also in this. like Knoxville, I could see for some of the <clears throat> archetypes in this film, but not all of them. So I can yeah. see why his name came up. I can see why all three of these names came up. Mm-hmm. But to me, no one except for the two we were talking about, Mel and Downey, could have played this role. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, man. So those are our thesis statement, guys. Let us know what yours are down below in the comment section. We're going to move right along into fist pump moment. That's the moment you're watching this movie. You look around, you're like, this is awesome. Are you, are you seeing this? Like, I'm going to watch the rest of this movie. I got to stop. I got to call my friend. I got to text Coy, dude. You're so right. I'm so glad we're watching this movie. You did. I did. I texted you. I go, 100%. We're covering Kiss Kiss. No questions. I'm so excited. I'll yes. see you Wednesday. And that was it. And, and I'll tell you, I texted you actually... I can't remember exactly when I texted you, but I remember the moment that I fist pumped was, I actually think I texted you right after Sossman got killed. Yeah. Because it, cause he has a really big moment there in the last shot where he kind of like grits his teeth. He's like mad and you're like, oh damn. Yeah. And then he freaks out because he just killed someone. And I was like, this movie's really good. Yeah. This is not just like, I was waiting for maybe like the legs to fall out from underneath it because so many people like you and I say Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is phenomenal. But then there's the general populace, they don't ever, ever talk about this movie. Which is insane. Which is absolutely bizarre to me. But it was at the end when you've got Downey getting his balls tased or whatever, <laughs> electrocuted, and his screaming is very believable. It's very yeah. good acting. And Kilmer's just egging this guy on. And, and so let me, let me, like, the experience of this is. <clears throat> One of these guys is going to die at the end of the movie in my mind. And I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. <clears throat> so in this moment, I'm like, oh, shit, this is it. This is it. Is it going to be Kilmer? What's going to happen? How are they going to get out of this? And he's screaming. It's like not quite funny. It's mostly terrifying. And then <clears throat> out of nowhere, Kilmer pops him through his pants with his derringer like six times. The dude almost shoots him. And Downey's freaking out. And he's like, ah, ah, ah. And he's like sitting there. And then he pulls out the gun. He's like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God you had a gun there. Because I wasn't sure if it was just like a gay thing or... <laughs> Because I went from scared to like, yes, to like laughing my ass off in the span of a minute. And I was like, that's Shane Black. That is Shane Black perfectly. And can we also talk about how delicate a line he walks with all the gay humor? But I think lands it on the right side of history. 100%. And I think like even, I even saw someone today, right? Like, you know, seeing Fat Kilmer now as, as gay Perry would be amazing. And like, 
if I were to call anyone gay blank, it would be so not cool. Right. But then to think of him as anything other than gay Perry is it, it doesn't feel because it's good. not derogative. And no. They even they even acknowledge it in one scene. Like, are you still gay? And he's like, No, I'm drowning in pussy. I just like the name, so it's stuck. Like they even like <laughs> they even throw a jab at the name to acknowledge it, and then like it's a it's a term of endearment by the end. Yes, it like, really. I, I agree. I think they they never go to immature or like easy humor, low hanging fruit with, sure. with the gay jokes. And if they do, they call you out on it. He it's calls you wink. out on it. Exactly. And then it's also a movie that, this was in 2005, which was around the time of Brokeback Mountain, which mm-hmm. is, Brokeback Mountain came out and there were protests, and like, the world was a much shittier place. Oh, yeah. Like, I, do you remember when Brokeback, they were like, I can't believe those guys are playing homosexual cowboys, and I was like, what's I the mean, problem? back then, the F word, the other F word, yeah. was still in Bandit everything. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it was in movies, it was in, it was on TV, you would hear people say it in the hallway at school all the time. Right. It was not, it did not carry the weight that it does now. And and I think there's so many ways that this movie could have been caught on the wrong side of history. Like yeah. you said, I mean, hell, when I started dating my girlfriend, I wanted to watch Wedding Crashers with her because I was like, oh my God, this movie's so funny. I saw it in high school. It's so good. And you go back and like, I'm still laughing my ass off and we end the movie and she's like, yeah, it was kind of funny. She's like, that movie kind of sucked. But if you find the humor now <clears throat> instead of finding it at the exactly. time. Exactly. And she's like, they just made women look like dumb sluts in that whole movie. And the only two women that you care about in the movie are just tricked into being with these assholes. I was like, oh. well, when you put it like that, uh, Jesus, I, uh, and, that's, and that's what's tricky about watching movies out of their time. Right. And that's why I think this is a 15 year old film that actually was, was progressive to a point. Yeah. Like, to I'm, a not, point. I'm not saying like, it's the ally film. <laughs> right. But You're like, saying, it was this and broke back. Yeah. It really paved <laughs> they the way. really changed the game. <laughs> but considering this came out around the time that I remember broke back having so much kickback and this had humor around it. Yeah. And the fact that Shane Black is on the right side of history from 15 years ago is really and, impressive. And he's the type of guy that totally could have been on the wrong side of history. And this movie he... could have easily been very offensive in hindsight. But here we are. And anyway, so that's my moment. And I lo- I just love the line because and that, that whole gamut of emotions I went through from like being scared to being like, fuck yeah, yeah. To, being, to just laughing my ass off all in one. I was like, this is it. This is why Koi loves this movie. This is why Shane Black is a genius. So that... <laughs> That's my fist pump. Uh, for me, it's the opening party uh, because okay. I've I've actually been at parties where I've not. I've actually been to Shane's house, so, so I just remembered uh, using the bathroom. You know, I was and like, I love this that scene bathroom. felt like me. And when I think about <laughs> playing Harry Lockhart in an alternate reality, no, but like uh, I I remember watching that scene and not living in L.A. and being like, this is over the top. And right. then I, when I moved out here, when I realized this movie is just reality, then the rest of the movie became more real. So it's this really weird like like it, it, like the grooves of reality and society. Like I fell into that groove and I was. Like, oh no, this is just reality. This 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 modicum. Like, it's right. just like this is just what reality is like in this weird niche on the racetrack. So that the, the party was like, it's all inside jokes. It's all jokes that are like timeless to a point. Uh, it, it borders on offensive, which is my kind of humor. Yeah. Like, I I love the fact that Deadpool walks the line between like pegging scenes and like flashback humor, but it's a love story. Yeah. And this movie has like Native American Joe Pesci jokes, but it doesn't seem offensive to me. Like, it, and and it could to others. And I and if you are offended, I apologize if my liking it hurts you but well you've I, also got the nostalgia with it yeah. you know yeah. so to me like the movie those are all jokes like you said you'd say with your friends but to me it walks that very fine line of like I won't regret showing this to someone in 10 years yeah which is well it's one of those things where there's like a lot of the jokes that you say with your friends you probably wouldn't put in a movie yeah man but then he found all the best jokes you tell with your friends and then put them in a movie because they would still fit and they're forever the, and they're forever like most of the stuff I would say on like like during stand up I would never tweet 
Like, right. you know, if I'm going to say a bunch of jokes, I'm like, I don't want that in writing. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing about making a movie is like, that's, that's permanent. That's your name. You wrote that script. Your name's on that written by. You have to live with that. Yeah. So the fact that the party scene is my fist bump moment is because it's all of the things I find funny. It's it's naturalistic dialogue at an accelerated level. No one actually talks like Aaron Sorkin or Shane Black. No, no one actually. But it's so close that we, like. We say that all the time. We're like, if you were ever with someone that talked like Aaron Sorkin, you would want them to shut the hell up within 30 <laughs> seconds. Because you're like, stop repeating. You're stop like, what over, are you like, like what did you just hit me with words why we're just talking yeah, about we're your just favorite coffee hanging out and why are we always walking <laughs> yes. but like it's a really specific kind of thing is this where... the presidential where are we uh have we done three laps down a wing is this the western wing uh, uh dude the other thing i love about the beginning of the movie that i thought was super super um just like it, it totally caught la was the cop that busts in the audition room <laughs> Didn't you feel like that cop used to want to be an actor? Guaranteed. And the cast was just handsome enough. Just handsome enough. Because if you get arrested in L.A., there's a chance you're getting arrested by an ex-actor. Yes, like, dude. When you see cops oh. out here and they're like the right kind of swole, you're like, bro, you're I know like, what dude. happened 10 years ago. Yep. Like, I get it. And that's why they're so mad. <laughs> L.A. cops are such dicks because they wanted so much more. Especially the good-looking ones, man. Oh, they're yeah, so mad. If you see a cop and there's a good-looking one and an ugly one, lean into the just ugly one. Because they've at least got, like, they might have wanted Don't to be a cop. Don't call him the ugly yeah, one no, no, or her. Just lean. No, but I love because he pops in he's like good luck luck. and his face it's his face is the it was so also the casting of this film is perfect down to the day players everyone every day player that guy uh i can't remember his name the the bald guy the one that was the casting director in that room he's like oh get blank on the phone wallace something i can't remember but i love him he's a big tv actor um and uh yeah casting this is perfect so Let's get into their profiles a little bit since that's what we're talking about. You know, we're just going to talk about Downey and Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer was doing pretty well for himself in earlier, a little bit earlier than this. In the, in the early 2000s is kind of when he fell off. Started to gain a little bit of weight. He wasn't like the leading man, beautiful sex icon that he was like in the 90s. <laughs> Maybe that was just what me and my mom I mean, that's thought. how I see him. <laughs> Batman forever indeed. God. I that man's that. Bruce I, Wayne. I loved that movie. Like, yeah. it's just it's so weird to think about now. Yeah, it's so weird to think like Val Kilmer, Mark Twain himself, because Val Kilmer's been Mark Twain the last ten years. Yeah, like it's so weird to think about that man as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, my favorite line in that is I don't know why he has like a kind of a lisp at one point when he asked uh, Nicole Kidman to go to the circus. He's like, "Excuse me, doctor, would you like to go to the circus?" <laughs> Go back and watch That's it. You'll, you'll never unhear That's, it. And no, he's like, my Batman doesn't have a list, but my Bruce Wayne my does. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> They'll never figure it out. I've figured it out. <laughs> I've found my Clark Kent glasses. Uh, so he did Mindhunters in 2004, George and the Dragon in 2004, and Alexander in 2004, which I don't really know any of those movies, honestly. Um, Alexander's then, a tough watch. Yeah, is that what is that? It's the Colin Farrell. It is that, Alexander. Yeah, okay, yeah, it yeah. is that. All right. I have never seen it. Two, because I remember that movie. I just don't know the timeline of Alexander. Good old Colin Farrell. They released it three times. There's three different cuts of Alexander. All of them are hard. Is it director's extended and original or it's, something yeah, like it's, that? Yeah, it's the original cut. It's it's the original director's cut. And then he had like a final cut, like a la Blade Runner. Because <laughs> Oliver up. Stone kept trying to be like, no, it's good. I, prom- I promise you. There's... But when you see the extra 40 minutes, it gets better. Isn't that when he has sex with his sister? In yeah. Movie? yeah. It's that's a lot like, of weird, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I remember because I was in high school at the right. time. And that's what everyone talked about. But it's also that a... it was just bad. And like uh, Colin Farrell, who I love, like one of my favorite I actors working Colin hard Farrell. stuff, yeah. could not save that film. Do you, what's your favorite performance of his? In Bruges. Is it in Bruges? Like for me, it's. Eyebrows are Oscar worthy. It's just his eyebrows. Tied even with 
in Bruges and horrible bosses. Oh, he's so I good horrible bosses. I love him. He's absurdly like, good horrible Chubby, bosses. balding Colin Farrell is it's one of my... Magnificent. Seeing beautiful men in a horrible picture oh, is, amazing. Is, is amazing. It just helps. Like when Gosling, Gosling at the end of Blue Valentine, you're like, yeah. see, it happens to everyone. We all get it. It's rough. <laughs> like Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, where you're like, it can happen to you. Could, could, that's exactly what you'd look like, And man. there's some freedom in that. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like Colin Farrell can do no wrong. Except, like Alexander's one of the three Colin Farrell movies I don't rewatch. So but, but, I think... There's uh, Tristan and his old. Have you seen that? Oh god, I haven't seen that. Uh, the, and then there's like a mafia one, like a Russian mafia film that I saw once, and I was like, "Why are we here? <laughs> I can't do this." Like it just, it just kept going. I was like, "Is there something coming?" Like, but I still like. But you. I'm still here, I'm still Colin. Like, <laughs> oh, man, the gentleman is fantastic. <laughs> oh, is it, dude? I, I Guy Ritchie is one of my go-to's. Like he, I was saying, Shane Black and Guy Ritchie, I think, are amongst the best. And this is his return to like rock and roll a, a snatch form. I am actually really excited to see Hugh Grant in that movie. He's incredible because I, I've heard he's very good, and I haven't seen him do anything in a long time. Yeah. And, and Ben and I were just talking the other day. It, a couple things went a little differently for Hugh Grant, or maybe if he just wasn't in so many great rom-coms, right. or if he wasn't that guy, he could have just been Brosnan and Bond. And right. his career would have gone completely different. Yeah. Put but, on, like, 10 pounds of muscle. That dude was so charming. And yeah. And at the right time, too. <clears throat> yeah. he, he was the right guy at the right time until the prostitute thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, but, like, you know what I mean? like, that really shifted. Like, yeah. That also changed late-night television. Like, yeah. Like, Hugh Grant single-handedly changed what late-night was. Because uh, he went on, I don't remember which show he went on, but the ratings in that spiked. And then that changed the nature of what late-night talk shows was. Because it was more about the controversy of the individual than promoting a thing. Because that was when he went on to talk about it, right? Yeah. He literally, like, was like, I'm going to open up about it, blah, blah, blah. Because Arsenio Hall had been running the ratings for five years. If you yeah. I don't know Arsenio Hall. Watch that. It's one of the best talk shows of all time. But when Hugh Grant came on one of the other shows, that shifted the entire landscape. So actually, when I think of Hugh Grant, I don't think of him as an actor. I think of him as the guest on a late night show that changed things. That's crazy. Which is the weirdest thing because I like I like hosting so much. I like like to me, Crispin Glover is just the guy that like almost kicked what's his name in the face. Oh, dude. Like, that you know, like was, letter was it Letterman? Letterman. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think by roles anymore. I think about performances on late night. That is one of the most uncomfortable few minutes of TV to watch. And then ever. Joaquin with the gum. Like, there's so many. Yeah. Like to me, that's its own like universe. Uh, so Hugh Grant changed the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Downey, Gothica 2003, Eros in 2004, and Game 6 in 2005. And so I actually I want to talk about this now because, you you know, we were sitting down. You're like, I got to pull up Robert Downey's filmography. Yeah. Um, as much as I want to talk about the stuff <clears throat> in the 80s, we all know he was killing it in the 80s. That's when he really made a name for himself. But then the cocaine thing happened. That was the big problem. Um I actually loved him in U.S. Marshals. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the, you know, because I was such a huge fan of The Fugitive. What I really want to talk about with him is the fact that he's been Iron Man for 11 years. Yeah. And he played an amazing Iron Man. I mean, he he carried the MCU on his shoulders, which has now become the most successful film franchise, period, yeah. ever. What's going to happen with Robert Downey? Because he, he still... Gets he's gonna get movies for a while and he's still gonna do Sherlock Holmes three which I think is really really important for him to do. I agree. Um, he just did Doolittle which I, I I I don't know. I think it almost feels like he just had owed a favor to Disney or something. So this is actually a passion project of his. Okay, so what the hell? Which man? surprised the hell out of me. So basically, <clears throat> he saw a picture of a uh, a doctor like a like an Eastern guru doctor in like this crazy like robe that thought he could talk to animals and was like, I want to make Doctor Doolittle that. And, like, that to me is a way more interesting movie than the trailers I saw. The yeah. fact that there was a Downey Jr. movie in theaters that I haven't seen yet is exactly indicative of how the, the marketing was. It could be amazing, but it hasn't done that well. I haven't heard anything about it. I think maybe the trailers turn people off. Because, uh, once again, the Joe Rogan interview with him is is so inspiring. Yeah. He calls Kiss Kiss Bang Bang his favorite performance. He talks about, uh, like, the way he shaped the career and all those things. Uh, and I think him talking about Doolittle was a better trailer than the trailers. When uh, he had, like, yeah, because the trailers were garbage. Goddamn. But, they like, five really sentences bad. about it on there, I was like, that movie sounds fascinating. And then the trailers are like, that's not it. So, so he's got... 
that that just happened he's gonna be he's rumored to be in black widow but we all know he won't have a big part in that movie and then he's got sherlock holmes 3 in pre-production and then this this is untitled john brinkley biopic by richard linkladder mm-hmm. and i love linkladder and they I, work together great in skinner darkly exactly so i think that is the huge moment for downey i yeah. think he needs to p- play a role that makes you forget about iron man because by the time it'll come out it'll be a couple years yeah. right since he played iron man just long enough for us to maybe be like, all right, I can see you as someone else. Do you think Downey's career is in trouble? As ex-host of Marvel Movie News, <laughs> I'd like to say I'd prefer him not to be in Black Widow because I Same. like Downey Jr. I like Robert Downey Jr. as much as I like the MCU. So I would prefer to have I, both. I think I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want one to cost me the other. Mm-hmm. And I would argue Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is, and this is going to, is a better performance than he could keep doing with Iron Man because he's completed the arc. Not because it's not a great role. Like, Tony Stark has completed the arc, so I don't want to see it continue on in a way that disparages the arc he's had. Right. So, like, to me, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is its own baby, and I'd rather see him do more roles like that so I can give some distance to it. I think that this may be the best acting that Robert Downey's ever done. And it's so different than Iron Man. It totally is. Now, I think that Downey accomplished more as an actor with Iron Man. Because let's say you take the super cut of Iron Man in Iron Man 2008 all the way up to when he snaps his fingers. You're like, oh my God, the journey, the arc, the moments, the highs, the lows. You're like, that's... 20 hours. 20 hours. (laughs) Right. Give me this. Give me that an hour and a half, hour 45. I think this movie's just, just around two. Yeah. Um... He does so much in this movie, and it's all confined into one role as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, ten movies. I think this is his best acting. Period. I think so. I really do. And uh, even in the beginning, even the audition is, like, it's good. And his chemistry is great with both Michelle Monaghan and Val yeah. Kilmer. His chemistry is great with every time he has, he has to do a different type of performance. And he's as incredible as Tony Stark. I'm not taking away any of that. But since we have so much more knowledge of Tony Stark, it's harder to separate. But when I watch this, you know sometimes an actor becomes that role forever yeah i don't see tony stark and harry lockhart at all okay when i rewatch it there's not a part of me that's like oh right he's iron man like it's not because he's so commanding in this yeah yeah and and he's commanding this in such a different way because as iron man he is you know walks in the room puts his dick on the table for everything right it's just all ego all confidence just exuding at all times except for in very few moments like right right when he comes back at the beginning of endgame you're like wow there's a broken iron man you know but in this movie he plays he just plays a dude. He also I plays, he plays, he plays like a five year old. Yeah. Like I also love his childlike innocence throughout this film. He's yeah. a guy doing things for his family, but he's also a kid. Like he's burglaring a store, but while he's burglarizing, he's like, whoa, like there's, there's yeah. a childlike innocence to his negative. And I think that's why he's so endearing. Like this character shouldn't be as likable. He fails up. And usually we don't like to see that. Yeah. Because you know, even in the beginning when he, you know, when he breaks down and is crying the audition, you believe it because he feels like a kid. And that carries on all the way to the moment when he's just about to hook up with the girl girl of his dreams yeah. and then he finds out that she slept with his best friend like 20 years ago and, and he kicks her out. He's out I'm like you dumbass and, and you you believe it and you believe 100% and you also understand you're like, why he does it you're like I get it I get you yeah. bro what's his name like shit like, 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 <laughs> like it's just like the worst name and like the scene with the spider like the like yeah. that like there's so many moments that are just so he's endearing like, oh, oh, no. there was a oh. there's a mm, uh, I trust me she's like it's fine you're filling me up and he's like no, yeah. no, no and that's also more LA shit like also yeah, yeah, like, the, right? there's so many scenes where he's describing how shitty LA can be that I'm like uh huh yep. and, and it's so beautiful because it once again it's on the right side of history where some of the things he said could border on misogynistic but when you get to the point of what he's saying it's so pro-woman 
Yes. Like there's so many lines. I'm like, bro. Oh, like, well, cause he, it's, he's not just going to hit you in the face. But he wants you to look at what's happening. Right. And, and analyze the fact that she, she's this girl that's passed out and she's like, eh, whatever. It's fine. It happens all the time. You know, that's L, you know, like right. basically what she says is like, we've been conditioned to think that that's acceptable. Right. And you're watching, you're like, that's fucked. The like anti-wedding crashers. A, yes. Yes. The so anti-wedding I know what I'm watching tonight. Uh, there it is. Maybe so I got something to watch. We're throwing this movie back in. But like to me, that's that's really indicative of Shane Black's worldview. Like he actually sees like he wants the progress to be made. And even in the moments of earnestness for Downey, it really shapes Michelle Monaghan's character. And Michelle mm-hmm. Monaghan's character She's is super fleshed out. Yeah. Like she has a lot going on. You understand why she makes all the choices she does. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at everyone's screen time, it's only a two-hour film, but everyone has full and complete arcs. Mm-hmm. Like everyone goes through some shit. Yeah. And that's masterful writing it really is it really is and i uh so let's talk about it. let's talk about the writing for uh for kiss kiss so it was originally titled you'll never die in this town again which uh was re- rejected by various studios before joel silver gave black his first break originally with lethal weapon and the last boy scout decided to help him out in the leading role as we talked about before johnny knoxville benicio dottorio and hugh grant um <clears throat> Downey found out about the role from his then-girlfriend, Susan Levin, who worked as Silver's assistant, which is funny because uh, Ethan Irwin has worked with Joel Silver for a very, very long time, and oh, yeah. I'm sure he produced this movie. Uh, Ethan's a great dude. and uh, yeah, It's funny because I think we were actually planning on bringing him on for this movie and because Ben loves this movie, too, yeah. and I was like, Coy wants to do it. I'm doing it with Coy. <laughs> You're in Germany. It's happening, it's happening. Sorry. Uh, so here we are. Uh, Sorry. Ethan. We'll so, talk about it again. Come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, w- I would love to. Uh, so Downey was eventually cast in this as they liked his readings. They knew he could fit into the small $15 million budget, which is hilarious. It's less like, than he gets paid now. Think about 15 years ago, and Downey's like cheap. You're like, $15 million for the I got whole this movie? Guy. No problem. Now it's like $250 million contract. Sign it, make it happen. You give me for seven minutes a day. Right. Like, literally, can you buy me the island first? I don't want to do the paperwork. Yes. Like, I get paid in the islands now. It's so amazing. And then $15 million was like, okay, we can schedule him in. We can we can fit Downey in. He's cheap. He's, can we, he, he's whoever right now. He needs help. Before we yeah right before yeah. we leave uh, the Downey Junior like the movies that follow this are really important. So mm-hmm. we talked about the ones that came right before after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I want to I want to point out a guide to recognizing your saints, a Scanner Darkly, and Zodiac were what followed. Yeah. So he's immediately turning his stuff around. He then did Charlie Bartlett the year before Iron Man, and then Tropic Thunder the year Iron Man came out. Yeah, Char- so, Charlie Bartlett. He's like the principal. He's, so and he's good. really good. In Anton that. Yelchin. Oh, and I miss you, Anton. I, know, I do too. Uh, that movie is just so charming and lovely but like if you look at what this movie gave him when we listed the three movies before it gothica eros and game six it's like what do we talk about of any of those but if you look at the movies after this we actually still talk about a guide to recognize your saints the scanner darkly and zodiac people people now have argued that zodiac's the greatest thing fincher ever did and and, and everyone is incredible in that movie not just downey um so it's a testament for me that's a testament to like what i like people are going to be mad at my mcu statement but if you look at kiss kiss this reshapes not just downey but cinema yeah hundred percent because you can't have you you if if the last thing that he did was get arrested for cocaine possession he's not iron man right he needs to have a few years of putting in good work and not work where he's the lead character like when you think about zodiac you think about uh gyllenhaal and you think yeah. about ruffalo yeah. right you don't just think about just downey you think about all three of them which is good and that's the other thing with tom cruise playing iron man he when you when tom cruise is in a movie you want to, he wants you to think about just him it's a tom cruise and film and you need people to think about the whole right picture. it would have been much more mission impossible based and you don't see that spin-offs working because they tried that with jeremy renner and it didn't go anywhere it sure did not and that's why the mcu would be different like it'd be marvel films right because now it'd be like well they're doing a black widow movie and iron man's not in it and they'd be like eh, who cares tom, right. tom cruise isn't he just doesn't cares. have time yeah. and also with the uh, and 
this is not to, to say one's better than the other, but like I like that the DC films are a little more separate. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Marvel films would have just gone that way if yeah. we didn't have Downey Jr. in that cohesiveness. So looking at the box office here, this was produced by Warner Brothers for $15 million. It was released in October of 2005. It made $4 million domestic and an additional $11 million uh, for, for a grand total of 15.8. So congratulations, you made $800,000, Joel. Good thing you didn't shoot in a different mansion yep, because that would have been, would, that that been it. Yep, that would have been it. Uh, it opened number 37 at the box office at $180,000, which is just so crazy. But the movie itself has a 7.5 on IMDb, an 85% on the tomato meter, and an 87% by the audience. People love this movie. Yeah. They really do. I just think that they didn't have superstars in it when it came out. That's, Can you that's even imagine something opening at 37 right now? Like, we, we don't even talk about those It would never be things. on this show. We don't even mention no. the 37th. Like, the top 10 is barely, like, we barely get to the 10th right. spot. And that's usually movies that have been out for three weeks. The number 37 opener, and this is, I would, like, we've both argued the number one action comedy of all time. It, it, I mean, it really is fantastic. Like, I think MacGruber will always be my favorite just because of how absurd it is, but that movie never feels like a real action movie. It doesn't sure. feel like there's really ever stakes in it, whereas this movie does. And to me, In Bruges is more of a drama comedy, so, yeah. like, there are action yeah, yeah, scenes, yeah. but, like, I, if we're saying action comedy, I think this, and then right there. Yeah, because like, there's great, I, I rewound and watched a couple action scenes in this movie again, because I was like, those are actually really sweet. Yeah. They really are. And it's his debut. What a directorial. <clears throat> debut yeah. like we've talked about Shane's writing a lot but without the tone he set because of his love of dime store novels without the the, the studio letting him make a really weird movie like this was a, a live action Emperor Cusco pause the frame moment like that doesn't happen in movies you don't <laughs> yeah. let your lead do that and then the subject matter is so inside baseball that's mm-hmm. why it opened at number 37 like the directing style is very Shane and the, like it's forced uh, perspective like the movie doesn't let you like play you're like this is what you're watching this is where it is and that's a very specific style of Shane's and that's the reason why you were telling me that they thought or that you thought Predator struggled yeah. I, we, everyone thought Predator struggled but the reason behind that is that he didn't have 100% creative control I feel like Shane didn't get to direct that movie I don't either because it, it didn't feel like a Shane Black film not at all because when you go and you watch the other movies that he's directed you're like yeah that's him. And there's like three Shane Black scenes. Right. And those scenes are fun because you're like, oh, this is the time he got to play. Yeah. Like when they're sitting in the car and they're all like riffing and you finally see that all the like the the badass like criminals are about to do. Like I'm like, oh, the Shane Black scene. Right. And then that makes it even worse when they leave that scene because you're like, oh, we're back oh, to this movie. Here we go. And like I don't blame him at all. Like I I still see him as like a near perfect filmography. It's to me, it's like uh, Alien 3 with David Fincher. Yeah. I don't count that as a Fincher film. It's not. Because like that was a studio going like, we got this music video director. He'll show up sometimes. I watched, and then they're both like, I watched Alien three last week don't do that it was it was so <laughs> bad it was so goddamn bad i was sitting there and i had to i kept rewinding the end of it because i was like if i ever get asked about how this movie ended in the schmodown oh, they yeah. would never ask how this movie ends in the schmodown because it makes no goddamn sense the whole movie doesn't make the, sense it's not, yeah the so. prison planet like what is going on throughout that film why, why not just not have that planet yeah uh, it's like when they bring the kids back to jurassic <laughs> world 2 i'm like it's an exploding dinosaur planet bring the kids bring the kids like why would they go sweet. to this it's like what is this choice but i felt the same way about predator it was like they kept throwing in like he had these big broad ideas and then it was like the studio's like but what if there's this thing but what if there's a predator yeah and they're like what if there's 19 predators and one of them's kind of human-ish like it just felt like that 90s thing <laughs> yeah where they yep. were just like mixing a human hybrid like more more yeah. not better just more just more <laughs> yeah. and that's not Shane Black he, if arguably he'd rather have more punchy dialogue than yeah. set pieces so it just kept derailing that well we, we always say on the show it's the moments in between the action that hold the movie together and this is a perfect testament to that, yeah. that statement. Uh, favorite line. What's your favorite line, man? Uh, I, I saved it here because I want to get it exactly <clears throat> right. This is the movie, uh, you know, brilliantly founded on dialogue, and arguably you could grab any line from this film, and I'd you, say it's my really favorite. You really can. But uh, what talking money? A talking monkey? Talking monkey. Yeah, yeah. Came here from the future. Ugly sucker. Only says ficus. 
It is such a fast line. It doesn't make any sense in <laughs> like, or out wait, of context. Wait, hold on, wait, what did that just say? And it comes at you like an Eminem line. Like you, like you sit there, you're like, "What just happened to me?" Ugly sucker only says ficus talking monkey. <laughs> that to me is the epitome of the whole movie. Like it's it's all of the sass of Gay Perry. Yep. It's Harry Lockhart being confused and being a young child, and it's a an irreverent reference that sounds like it should be referencing something you know, but doesn't. Right. Like, it sounds like it should be like a pop culture reference, but it's just insanity. So to me, the crazy ugly sucker only. Says five kisses. Oh, so good. <laughs> I also, I, I, I don't know where this came, but it just reminded me of how funny I thought it was when they shot the girl in the head in the trunk. It was awesome. <laughs> Do you think she's okay? No, she's just snapping. Of course she's dead. Her neck's broken. Or, or the whole scene where he's peeing on the body. Where he's, just like, he's just peeing and he looks like, over. Pee on and he's, like, like, he's like, some of my DNA's on it. I. I peed on her. What? Like, he's like, what is, how, why in your right mind would you ever pee? He's like, I didn't mean to. That whole sequence. Or when he throws the gun, he's like, what happens when they drag the link and they find my custom like that? For my... <laughs> It's like oh, that every like you can Jesus. grab any scene and pull a line from it and it's it's a better line than oh. the best line in most movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, a perfect script. And my favorite line is I love callbacks in movies. I hundred I hundred percent love callbacks and, and Perry says, Go, sleep badly. Any questions, hesitate to call. And he goes, Bad. Perry goes, Excuse me? Sleep sleep bad. Otherwise it, it seems like the mechanism that allows you to, to sleep. What? Fuckhead? <laughs> Badly's an adverb. Who taught you grammar? Get out. Vanish. I died, dude. I actually, like, fell out of my chair <laughs> laughing at that line. Vanish is such a good insult. It's, it's like, such it's a good so insult. cutting. Like, all of it's funny, and then it ends with vanish. vanish. Like, stop existing around me. Like, I just love how quick... Because, like, I don't know if you... if you Because you probably write a lot more than I do. My grammar's gotten horrible as oh, I've dude, gotten older. Like, the rules of grammar. Because we text. We text. We used to have to write. Yes. In what scenario, one, is handwriting a thing, or right. two, even writing in a way that needs to be done. Never. Like, when I have to write for a company instead of speak, I'm like, I hope you have an editor yes. and a second yep. editor. My girlfriend's getting her doctorate right now in, in like, policy analysis. She looks at anything that I write, and she's like, what is wrong? Who wrote this? And I'm like, uh, I, I did it really quick without I looking. Was, yeah, and it's, like, six hours. <laughs> like, you've been, like, you've been struggling, and you've reread it four times. I love how quickly he's just like, what? Fuck it. Badly is an adverb. And in my mind, I was like, I don't even know what adverbs are anymore. They're, those are things that describe they have an L- of an action, them. right? Like, dude, and I read back my text, and I'm like, I hope my friends know that I'm not just dumb. I'm like, like when they when I read back my own text, I'm like, how did you know what I meant? Because I don't anymore. Yeah. Like I've left English behind a long time ago. A hundred percent. The fact that I have a career talking is just a gift. Like it's it's not English. Same. When the, I, the, the fact that I can talk is great. If I was a like Done. imagine if we had professional stenographers following us around. You read back playback for the day, and you're they like, they would kick our ass I'm at the sorry. end of every day. Like, yeah. yeah, I also love the uh, at the very end when he's like, no, and he shoots the dude, and then he rolls and he shoots the other dude, and then he's like, okay, all done. And I just. I, <laughs> Just clean fun might be what I'd say if I ever got in a shootout. And there's so many moments that, like, once again, the heightened reality where it could almost work in reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so perfect. All right, so we got a really quick question. I'm actually just going to have you answer it because I don't know if we have time for both of us. But it says, "Would you prefer a sequel to Kiss?" This is from Ian Kelly on Instagram. Okay, run by our friend Richard Eric Jarvie. We run a uh, a competition every weekend where people can submit their AMA questions. And he says, "Would you prefer a sequel to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or The Nice Guys? Pitch a potential sequel of your choice. Older, fatter Kilmer as Gay Perry would be fantastic." Fantastic, says Ian. I would say a sequel to this only because we 
I feel like The Nice Guys was already a pseudo-sequel to this. Uh-huh. Like, I felt like it was a spiritual sequel. You know, when you watch mm-hmm. those movies, you're like, that's the same universe. Whereas, I can't imagine the glory of, like, Downey Jr. with the pull he has now. And I also kind of want, as a legacy movie, I want people to go back and watch this. Yeah. And I feel like they don't. Like, I feel like if we did a sequel to this, people would discover this really oh, important 100%. movie. 100%. Whereas The Nice Guys doing better, I feel like it's it's kind of better. Like, it, yeah. it was better off. Like, it was, it was Gosling and, and Russell at the height of their powers, or, like... Not, maybe not Russell Crowe, but like, you know, post Gladiator Russell Crowe, like mm-hmm. that level. So it did well. He was Whereas still a superstar. This opened at number 37. It needs our attention. I so would, I would I, say this. I would love to see a sequel with the same characters. All yeah. three of them. All of them. All of them are still fine. They're all still acting. They're all still phenomenal. They're also brilliant. And yeah. they all work very well. They, like, they really all, do. Like consistently, they haven't had those foibles. And Shane Black, write and direct it. He's ready. I'm already in. And, and I would say the plot would be. Uh, I've always wanted to see a movie dive into the underbelly of L.A., whereas this dives into the underbelly of the parties in L.A. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a rumor that True Detective Season 2 was going to be about how L.A. killed the electric car. I would love if there was something of that scale and scope where, like, for some reason, Harry Lockhart fell into some sort of, like, problem where he had to solve the public transportation crisis. (laughs) Because, like, someone that, it's like, he's way underqualified, and gay Perry's just got to, like, keep him alive. Because you know, like, the train system and all the things in L.A. are because there's a lot of money in cars. Like, there's a reason this city is gridlocked. Whereas you go anywhere else, they have New York, tra- yeah. Tokyo, any so China. For some reason, Harry Lockhart's the only guy that can solve the mystery. So, and yeah, I gotta, I gotta take care of this. Like, yeah, like imagine <laughs> watching him like fumble his way through the greatest controversy of LA. Uh, Corey, there are three action movie categories: totally, uh, blah, totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. What? Is this movie ridiculously legitimate? Hundred percent. It is legit through and through, and it's also ridiculous. It's the exact dialogue we've been talking about. I love. I love. Wait, <laughs> he spins the gun. <laughs> He's like, it's an eight percent chance. It's an eight percent. What the? Who taught you math? <laughs> like later on, he's still trying to do the math. It's just like, it's like just stop. until the next scene, and he like has to stop him. It's just. One out of eight percent chance. This movie is so funny. It literally knocked me off oh my chair my from God. memory. I'm I sweating. just remembered this moment <laughs> and I so couldn't good. hang. Oh man. Oh my God. All right. There's only one thing left to do on the show, and that's called the pitch. <laughs> uh, we don't know what movie we're covering next week, so we'll get back to you guys on that. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. A big, big shout out to some generals out there: General Andrew Hayes, John Patterson, Kelsey Kirkland, Jeremiah Morris, Cody Seal, AJ Lancaster, Saudi Laman Maki. Oscar Romo, Danny Joyce, Eric Ritz, Luke Haynes, Michael Deacon, Liam Gilpin, and oh my God, Kyle! Kyle's a new general. Oh no, I have to do this. I know this is this is so professional. This is exactly how. <laughs> while, I, while you're looking up, yes. can I say we met a lot of these people in New York? Yes. And I want to give a shout out for meeting them in 3D because it was it's so cool to see names and then to meet the person and realize they're really rad. Are they all amazing? Like they're just incredible people, they and that's are, so unique. They are like I, I. We joke because we do these things called general bunkers where we hang out with them on hangouts before we go live on shows. I talk to them more than I do my family. It's amazing. And they're amazing people. And they're, and I, a lot of them are so nice that I thought it was fake. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you talk to someone online, you're like, that's not. And no. then I met them. I was like, God, they're just great. And then you meet their partners, and you're like, oh, my God. Of this course you sense. found the nicest this is person the best ever duo yes. I've seen. Yeah. And, like, so many times people have offered help, and I'm not a guy to, like, accept help. And then in person, they're like, I meant it. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought it was just you being no, nice. Take them up they're on just it. They'll change your life so, like they did seriously, ours. All, all of you guys, just I appreciate it from having just met you. Yeah. And uh, Carl Newell is the uh, is the newest general. And then five-star generals, Mac Ryan, John Getz, Jake Yacobetta, Lucas Shashek, Alex Shashek, and Paul Denuzio. Guys, thank you so very much. Big, big-time salute. Thanks for coming, man. This was so much Dude, fun. This is the, the live chat is you like... You fell out of your chair. I literally fell That's out of my chair laughing. This episode That's was. how much I enjoy this show. I love and it. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> we literally yelled about this in New York, and now it happened. See you guys next week.
from producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.